Listen up, it's the Speakeasy with Annie Madden and Carla Trelaw. Conversations in the margins. A comfortable space for uncomfortable topics. So in the studio, we've got two wonderful guests, the first of which is Jonathan Hunua from the Public Interest Advocacy Centre. And PIAC tackles all those difficult social problems that impact the lives of many, many of us. They conduct test cases, strategic litigation in the public interest and provide legal assistance, policy advice and training to create positive change to the lives of people who are disadvantaged and marginalised. And Jonathan has numbers of decades of experience as a lawyer in all sorts of fantastic areas, discrimination and human rights, migration and refugee law, Aboriginal land rights, criminal law and coronial inquests. That's pretty inspiring. I isn't agree. It? It's a great yeah. look. PX been around yeah. for a long time and well regarded service, yeah. huh? Yeah. And, and Jonathan has a number of decades, not too many. We won't hopefully know what I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> Experience as a lawyer in, in areas like discrimination, human rights, migration, refugee law, Aboriginal land rights, criminal law, and coronial inquests. We are really looking forward to digging into your very um, wise mind. Thanks for having me. (laughs) No worries. And our other guest today is Daniel Comensoli, and Daniel is the Policy and Research Coordinator at the LGBTI National Health Alliance. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. And um, so the National LGBTI Health Alliance is the national peak health organisation in Australia for organisations and individuals that provide health-related programs, services and research focused on on lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex people and other sexuality, gender and bodily diverse people and communities. Um, and Daniel's background is, you know, after doing a degree in um, chemistry, yeah, of all <laughs> <laughs> It was a hard slog, <laughs> that one. <laughs> um, then did some postgrad studies in politics and public policy and um, also worked in an electoral office for one or more federal MPs, is very active in outreach and volunteer work, especially around the marriage equality reforms. So, yeah, welcome to Speakeasy, both of you. Thank you. Good to be here. So we're going to start um, with Jonathan helping us understand what this bill is and and why it's important to think about, consider and perhaps be active about in the upcoming time. So, Jonathan, do you want to talk us through it? Yeah, sure. And the genesis of it's important important because we're often told um, a lot with some of the concerns that people have raised, oh, don't worry, that's not what's going to happen and that's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. So it is important to know where this has come from. And so we've got a religious discrimination bill. There's another couple of bills that are sort of part of a package of religious freedoms bill, but the centrepiece is a religious discrimination Ah. bill that would become a religious discrimination act. I've heard both. So thank you. That clarifies that. I thought it was a bit of semantics, actually, you know, freedom and it's actually discrimination. Yeah, so and, and it becomes important and we might dig into that later but the, yeah. the genesis is really oh, pardon the pun but the genesis is the response to the successful campaign for marriage equality so uh-huh. we saw the change in the laws in late 2017 and there was a push by some of those who were opposed to marriage equality on religious grounds for laws to protect religious freedom and that's when the prime minister then turnbull responded by um, commissioning a review of religious freedom and that was what what we now call the, the ruddock review so philip ruddock led a review that included a number of academics and experts and um and, and frank father frank brennan so brought a, a particular religious faith perspective to it and so that took place in early 2018 yeah. it reported in may 2018 and government sat on it until december 2018 it's important to remember what the review actually found and it found that there wasn't 
an imminent threat to freedom of religion right. um, in Australia. And it said, look, people aren't in danger of not being able to worship or yeah. g- gather together in faith groups. Generally yeah. or because of the marriage equality? Generally, right. generally, that's right. Yeah. Um, but they did find a role for a Religious Discrimination Act. And so in the same way that we have federally a sex, race, disability and age discrimination uh-huh. legislation and protections for discrimination on the ground of sexuality and gender identity and other things in the Sex Discrimination Act, the, uh, the reviewers found that there is a role for a Religious Discrimination Act in Australia really to, to kind of be vigilant and make sure that we're protecting the right to freedom of religion, which is a you know internationally recognised human right. And Jonathan, yeah. and maybe you're going to get into this, but mm. does that include the freedom not to be religious? In yeah, that's you right. Know? Like, yeah. I mean, Good I think question. that... Yeah. It does. So, the, and the, <laughs> Whatever. so no it's, it's the freedom of, of conscious thought, conscience, okay. thought and belief are, are, are wrapped up in that. So it does include religion in this context is, is understood to also mean the lack of religious belief. So it should also cover... It would protect people. those. But that's uh, where it gets okay. interesting <laughs> because right. of the weight that is given to religion in the Religious Discrimination Bill. It actually privileges those with um, a religious belief over those who don't in a, in a range of ways, but we can get to that. The other issue that came up that people might sort of have in the back of their minds was the issue around LGBT kids in schools, mm-hmm. in religious schools, and, and, and teachers, I should say, staff. That's actually not an issue that's addressed by by this bill. That was sent off to the Australian Law Reform Commission and people might recall, I think it was Prime Minister Morrison who said that that was going to be fixed. A number of us have been pointing out that that still hasn't been fixed. It was sent off to the Law Reform Commission. They've sort of parked their inquiry or paused their inquiry while this other issue gets, this other bill gets uh, sorted out. But there's a couple of implications of that. One is that people shouldn't think this is going to resolve that issue because it doesn't. It's about discrimination on the grounds of religion only and it doesn't cover other grounds right. um, such as sexuality or, or um, gender identity. But also the way this bill deals with things like exemptions for religious organisations has implications because some of the exemptions are really, really broad and there's a danger that that will spill over into other spheres. So the sort of latitude that's given to religious organisations here may then impact what they're allowed to do to discriminate in other contexts and that's a that's a broader implication. Wouldn't the other um, anti-discrimination protections cover those kids and teachers as we're talking about? Yeah, that's right. But so currently our Sex Discrimination Act has a very large carve-out for religious organisations so that oh, they can right. discriminate on the yeah. basis of gender identity and sexuality mm. and other things. And that's one of the discussions that came out of the Ruddock Review. A, a lot of people didn't realise that existed. So that mm. was a concession made to religious groups at the time um, that the provisions were introduced into the Sex Discrimination Act that covered sexuality and those other grounds. And a lot of people just didn't even realise that was there. And a lot of religious schools said, well, look, we would never use those. We don't, you know, we don't rely on those. But um, Still want the right to have them in that's place. Right. <laughs> just that, that's right. Just in case. And this is a sword that hangs over any student that, that, that is gay or lesbian or bisexual at those schools. Um, so there's a point of principle there. And I think a lot of people were, were kind of shocked when that came out of the Ruddock Review and they realised that this was actually yeah. the state of the law. Mm. But as I say, that's well, let's park that because it's, been parked yeah. yeah yeah from my understanding as well um the discussion around that time was about lgbt kids yeah um so the morrison government were committed to removing discrimination against 
kids in schools, but there was a separate discussion around LGBT staff yeah. and students, which I thought was interesting. So we'll just have to wait Watch and see space. how that plays out. That's right. Okay. And I think the Greens Ooh. introduced a bill that sought to end discrimination against um, students and teachers mm. and staff. And staff. That, um, that didn't make it through Parliament. I have to confess I can't recall exactly what happened to it, but it didn't. Really? It didn't oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but well, so this is and then, revisit this one. So then that takes us through 2018 yeah. into 2019. Then in August 2019, we got the first look at an exposure draft for this bill. Mm. And then, frankly, nobody liked it, but for different reasons. Religious groups, um, particularly conservative and, frankly, radical religious groups, said it didn't go far enough. To be honest, everyone in civil society and business um, and unions, employer groups said it raised real problems yeah. and it went too far. So we saw the exposure draft number two in December, um, which, to be honest, didn't address the major concerns of civil society, but it did make a number of additional concessions to religious organisations. And so um, in many respects, it's it's a worse bill than the first one, but yes, we can get I've into the reasons that for that too, later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Man. Wow. Okay. Okay. So that's where things are at. Do we, I guess, want to maybe go to you for a little bit, Daniel, and, you know, maybe drill down a little bit more into the specific issues. We've touched a bit on issues for LGBTI communities, but yeah. Just, I want to preface my response to that by just articulating two key issues. One is that LGBTI people still experience significant health disparities across a range of health indicators, not just in mental health and suicidal behaviours, but we also experience a disproportionate cancer burden. LBQ women um, have higher smoking rates. We have higher rates of drug and alcohol use as well. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that LGBTI people still face fundamental structural barriers to accessing culturally safe and high-quality healthcare. There's this assumption that we have a universal healthcare system in Australia, but it's not universal for everyone. And we still see today that LGBTI people still face discriminatory access barriers in healthcare. So when I look at this bill, um, they're the two things that I have in mind, really applying that LGBTI health lens mm -hmm. on this bill to really assess the merits of the bill. And when I look at the provisions or of the updated bill, I, I ask myself, does this bill have the potential to exacerbate those health disparities? Yes, it does. And secondly, does this bill have the potential to increase dis discriminatory access barriers to much needed healthcare? Absolutely, yes, it does. And for those two reasons, um, the Alliance um, does not su support the bill in its current form. And we can get an, into a discussion around the particular provisions, but the three key provisions, I guess, that uh, we remain concerned about, the first one being the no consequences for conduct clauses around making it more difficult for workplaces to enforce um, employee conduct rules, which makes it harder for them to sort of foster inclusive, diverse yeah. workplaces, mm. especially for LGBTI people. The second clauses, uh, the clauses around conscientious objections for healthcare practitioners is probably um, the big one lot, for us hey? yeah. um, that we probably have the most concern around. And then the third one is obviously the clauses around statements of belief. So happy to have a discussion around those three because they have severe implications well, for what, our communities. What is a statement of belief? Jonathan, would you like to explain? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a religious statement of belief. And so this is the three things that Daniel's identified. are. It's important to understand they're all things that you wouldn't expect in a regular, religious, in, in a regular discrimination bill. So what the government promised was that we would get something that looked like the age or the sex discrimination uh -huh. bill. 
And what they've done is instead, unfortunately, give us that bill, which is which is something that, from PX perspective, we would support. We we think you shouldn't be able to discriminate on mm-hmm. the basis of religion in in Australia. Yeah, right. But what they've done is they've added these, you know, I think someone's called them whistles and bells. Um, right. You know, so these extra things that are designed to deal with specific issues that have been raised by religious communities, um, and and as I say, mostly either conservative or, or I'd say radical religious views. Um, and so they're the things that are causing us a problem. So actually, if we wanted a straight-ahead religious discrimination bill, we could achieve that, I think, without too much difficulty, without too much dispute. But the government's tried to do these extra mm. things. And one of them is statements of belief. And this comes back to that religious freedoms discussion and the response to the marriage equality issue. So a statement of belief is a statement made really about religion by a person who has a religious belief or who doesn't but wants to make a statement about a religious religious belief. It has to be something that's said in good faith, but it, it can be it's incredibly broadly drawn. So it, it has to be a belief that a person of the same religion as the person who makes it could reasonably consider to be in accordance with the doctrines tenets, beliefs of that religion. So you only need one other person who says that that belief could reasonably. So it's an incredibly broad range of views. And what what the clause does is it seeks to protect the statement, uh, a statement like that from any challenge under discrimination law. So we've got existing discrimination laws that, that prevent people from making discriminatory statements um, in a range of contexts. Mm-hmm. So this isn't what people might say at the pub or what people might say in the street, but it means, for example, in a workplace, you can't say things that would constitute less favourable treatment of, of women or of a person with a disability or of a person from a, a particular race. Um, and the reason for that is that we say that you can't discriminate in the way that people, in the conditions that um, people are employed under or in the terms upon which you provide service. So if you're in a cafe, you can't make derogatory statements to women who come for service um, that are sexist because that's treating them less favourably in the way that they access the services. services. And so this says, no, no, as long as it's a religious statement of belief within those really wide parameters, you can do that. And so the genesis of this is important because this is really about making it okay for people who have religious beliefs to say hateful and hurtful things. Now, there are limits to it, and the people who want this clause are very keen to say, oh, this doesn't allow you to, you know, incite hatred and violence and there, there are limits but it still allows it's not clear no it's, it's not absolutely it's not, not clear. clear and it's it, it it does allow things that are demeaning that are derogatory that are hurtful and offensive it explicitly allows uh it overrides the clause in um the provision in the tasmanian anti-discrimination act that prevents those sort of public statements that, that are offensive um, or insulting or humiliating or intimidating. So it doesn't allow serious intimidation, but allows intimidation. Moderate, moderately yeah. <laughs> statements. And so wow. it, it, it explicitly undermines existing protections. And that's a real worry, particularly because it's designed to do that. It's intended to do that. And I it is saying to people, point, it's okay. It? Mm. And that's that's so a real worry. Can I unpack that a bit? So does that mean even though there are the um, protections, as you say, for around gender and disability and race, but does that statement of belief clause or, or bit, you can tell I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> That's all right. Um, the bit. Uh, does that override those other ones? So is if someone says, well, it's my, re- my religious belief that people with X characteristic should be less able to access my service, yes. 
Is that allowed, even though the, that X characteristic might be otherwise protected, protected. Yeah, in that's other right. fields? Yeah, So, so it, it's, it's useful to give, give examples. So mm. um, it means, uh, let's say as a manager, um, I, I still, and under this bill, I still couldn't, um, for example, deny a woman a promotion. Right. But I could say to a woman um, in, a, in a meeting of staff, I could say, oh, look, you know, um, really it's not appropriate for women to be speaking out. My religious view is that. Yeah, right. Um, you know, um, that... That men are the are the you know the proper um, the leaders and, mm. and, and, and or you know the, so uh, that, that sort of, yeah. Here, yeah. yeah and that sort of that sort of thing which can be very undermining yes, and can be, and and is yeah. if it is only done towards women would otherwise mm. be considered to be discrimination because it's less favourable treatment in employment. Yeah. Um, or let's say you're in a you're in a cafe and there's a, a customer with disability, and as someone serving food in the cafe, you say to that person, "Oh look, you know." I just thought I should let you know. I think your um, your disability is a trial um, from God, and I'll be praying for you. Yeah. And you know, you may say other things, which you know the person may well genuinely believe. But a person with disability would previously have thought, "I've got the right to access services without discrimination, and I don't have to put up with that sort of stuff." Frankly, and this law, this law would say, "No, that's okay, as long as it's a religious statement of religious belief, then that's okay." Yeah. Wow, and, and I just, yeah, field, yeah and I just wanted to call out. I think there's this double standard in play here that mm. there's this prevailing notion currently that religious statements against LGBTI people are somehow not harmful to mm. our communities. And I really just want to put on the record that they actually do harm. And there's actually some research out of Macquarie University recently that's actually demonstrated that link uh, between religious anti-gay prejudice and um, adverse health impacts. So they found that when lesbian, gay and bisexual um, people were exposed to these kinds of messages, that they reported high levels of depression, stress and anxiety more problematic alcohol use and more instances of physical and verbal victimization. And I think that's really crucial. Mm. Goes back um, to your first point about yeah. the already Yeah, yeah already yeah. And already I think yeah. those findings are quite crucial in this kind of context for a number of reasons. It really it really just suggests that the disapproval of homosexuality on religious grounds, for example, is more than just a harmless expression mm. of religious beliefs. It actually significant harm ensues when religious bodies, organisations and people expose people to or um, espouse these kinds of messages. And, you know, these provisions that seek to facilitate legitimise discrimination in this way will actually result in significant adverse health outcomes. Yeah. So I think that's really important yeah. to know because yeah. there are some out there in the right-wing commentaria and right-wing Christian groups mm. who are very clever in kind of saying that this actually doesn't happen. There is mm. no link between poor health outcomes and what we say. That's not true. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll put some links up too. And there's this great series of work from the US looking across the 50 states and comparing the health of LGBT, I uh, can't remember if it's young people or people across the age spectrum, across those 50 states in relation to the the sort of state-based protections available mm. to them. And the patterns are, as we would expect, that those states with greater protections have people in those states report better health um, mm. outcomes. And they've you know, done all yeah. sorts of fancy ways to, to account for people moving in and out, mm. in and out of states and so on. It's yeah. really powerful. And, it, and even within the, the healthcare context, we know the research suggests that being out to your regular GP is conducive to better health outcomes. Mm. And yeah, right. I'm just worried that if this bill passes, it's people will fear that they will be 
you know, discriminated against in the refusal of services, particular services, but also too in relation to the statements of belief provisions. I mean, a doctor or psychologist may provide you with a service, but they still may say that, oh, homosexuality is a sin, but here's your prescription. Just from a, a, a personal perspective, I remember when I was younger, I went to get my tax done at the accountant when I was still living at home. And the accountant was known to my family. My parents went to the same Catholic church that he did and he knew that I was gay and I was sitting in front of him and he was doing my tax and he felt the need to say that he didn't agree with homosexuality (laughs) and that homosexuality was a sin but that's okay we can disagree it's fine Um, and I just thought something as simple as doing your tax Mm. could result in something like that and I just worry that that will play out in healthcare context when LGBTI people face significant barriers and also experience discrimination. And mm. and the consequence, the, what, what's deliberately done, this is the, you know, Clause 42 is the clause that, that introduces these statements of belief, but it explicitly overrides all other discrimination laws. So oh, it overrides state and territory. That, and, yeah. so that, and that's a okay. radical thing. So we, ah. we can't under, underestimate. So for decades we've had uh, a system of human rights protections in Australia around discrimination laws. It's a bit of a patchwork, but we have laws in each state and territory. They aren't quite the same, and we've got laws at the federal level, and they interact, and there's this kind of um, relationship between them is a bit symbiotic where sometimes one of the states will, will make an advance and provide better protections and then other jurisdictions will catch up. But it's actually been a really healthy ratcheting up of, of the quality of protection and they've deliberately existed side by side and the, the, the federal laws have been explicitly crafted so that they allow states and territories to make decisions about what's going to work best for them but with the minimum standard. And this actually says, no, no, we're going to override that. And so I think even even from a broader political and constitutional perspective, this is something that's actually really radical that we just haven't seen before and I think shouldn't be underestimated. You know, I made a, a joke and it might not have been heard, you know, it's sounding very Gilead. And I've just reread The Handmaid's Tale, but oh my God, it's sounding really Gilead. You know, <laughs> that this. <laughs> Isn't that scary? Yeah, religious freedoms mm. becomes the mm. standard against which everything else must um, bow down. What do we do? What's the next steps? Where are we? Well, so the, the bill hasn't been introduced to Parliament. We're told that it will be introduced soon. So I guess I think there are a couple of sitting weeks at the end of March when we thought it might be introduced. Now, I don't know whether other priorities um, such as, you know, coronavirus and yeah. the economy and other things will, will mean that government turns its attention there. I guess, to be frank, that I, I, I hope that they will because this is a really misguided law and I think we've got better things to do than have a culture war um, ongoing over this stuff, but that's that's where it's at. Mm. Um, and, I mean, I think in practical terms, people should be expressing their concerns to their local member. Absolutely. Um, and they should get really, I guess, look at some of the statements. I mean, Equality Australia have done a terrific job at drawing out some of the real human stories and impacts, and so their, their um, yeah, we website's got some that. great stuff. Yeah. 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 We'll put a link to the Alliance. Have you got a submission on your Yeah, website? so we provided submissions to both drafts of the great. bill. Um, okay. But our colleagues at Equality Australia are really, really leading the fight on this okay, one. So. Okay, so we can make links to that. And yeah, sure, PX got its submission yep, up. That's right. right. The, the Australian yep. Human Rights Commission has also yep. prepared a fantastic Excellent. submission. And the thing about the submissions is we're all trying to draw on realistic examples yeah. of the yeah, sorts of nice. things that have happened. Yep. Um, and, and as I say, we're told, oh, but... People wouldn't do that. A doctor wouldn't say to someone, you know, look, here's your medication, but, but you know, it happens. here we are. It happens. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's very easy for, for people who haven't had that experience to underestimate how, how, how likely, how often it happens. And we've sent, but 
And even even if it doesn't happen currently, it's giving a license for people to actually do it or continue to do it in the future. And the impact that it then has. I mean, you've talked, Daniel, about the impact upon LGBT people, but there's there's been decades of research about race, um, about the impact of racism, and those those things that have real medical. Um, real medical effects on people's, you know, cardiac health and all mm-hmm. those things. So it's 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 very easy to dismiss, but actually the the the, the dangers are real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and I think um, it's very clear that there are so many potential implications of this. I mean, one obviously is access to abortion or terminate. I mean, that, yeah. that's or one that's writ large in this, isn't mm. it? Contraception. It, it actually, uh, when I was reflecting on this for today's um, show, I was thinking, oh, it so reminds me of a number of years ago in the US, um, there were these uh, faith-based agreements that um, the US government were making civil society organisations, charities and NGOs sign off on um, that they could they would only get access to federal funding for health services if they wouldn't provide condoms to sex workers or right. needle exchange. Yeah, um, right. <coughs> excuse me, needle and syringe mm. exchange to people who inject drugs. And and you know, that had real implications for both domestic and international programs yeah. that were USA mm. yeah, that's funded very interesting. and, and evidence free there as and well. And just also <laughs> on the politics, like I there are a number of government processes and inquiries currently underway that this bill has the potential to undermine. So we've got the Aged Care Royal Commission. The Alliance is doing a lot of work in um, writing submissions to that Royal Commission to ensure that you know aged care services are LGBTI inclusive. This bill has the potential to undermine those efforts. Uh-huh. We've also got the Productivity Commission's inquiry into mental health and they recognise that LGBTI people are a, a rightly identified as a priority population and that we need to increase access to mental health services. And this bill has the potential to undermine that good work. And then we've got the Morrison government's ambitious target to reach zero suicides. And I'm just a bit worried that this this has the potential to undermine. Well, it just adds to the determinants that put us already at risk, a heightened risk of suicidal behaviours. So I'm just, I'm a bit confused as to, uh, at the one hand, we have these inquiries that are doing good work, but at the same time, we have this bill that really will... um, As a superstructure to layer on top of all of that. Yeah. 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 Silence it and crush it. Yeah. And, and yeah. what is the role of evidence here, do you think? You know, we, we do have this, these data that shows the impact. Like everyone rolls their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, research, uh, naive researcher uh, in the uh, corner. Well, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's what's troubling here is we have a, an expert review conducted by a panel of, of people appointed by government who come back and say, we should have a religious discrimination bill and instead we get something that looks quite different to what was recommended. I mean, one of the things they said in the in the in um, in their report was that we don't need a, a, a religious discrimination commissioner. Um, you know, we don't have commissioners for um, all of the different constituencies such as LGBTI people, for example, and yet the government as part of this package is looking to introduce a religious freedoms commissioner. It's frustrating um, for those of us who engage in good faith in these processes and seek to be constructive and work with government on what the evidence shows to then find these sorts of things. And so we've got and a number of things that, that really push against the evidence for what works in the health context, for example, that we haven't talked yet about the conscientious objection provisions, but there are provisions in this bill that seek to privilege conscientious objection 
over conduct rules that otherwise apply to ensure patients get access to healthcare. So we've got, you know, we've got the AMA and other other so health groups. So this is relevant in terms of abortion or uh, contraception. And That's even right. um, <coughs> the dispensing of prep right, that is common or yeah. exclusively used by mm-hmm. gay men, bisexual men, and other men who have sex with men. And that would, my understanding is that that would be considered a service under these provisions. What's not clear as well, um, hormone treatment for transgender diverse people. Um, <coughs> in the explanatory notes, they they explicate that. Um, you can't refuse a service based on a particular attribute of a person, but it's not clear whether the service would be hormone treatment for transgender and diverse people or hormone treatment across the board. Right. Um, so That's right. And I think the example that the, the attorney gave was that you can't say, well, I won't provide hormone treatment to this group of people, yeah. so let's say to trans people, but I can say that I'm not going to provide it to anyone. But how do you monitor that? Yeah. That's it's right. It's just not clear. That's um, right. So and it, it creates – and so part of the, part of the, the other – real worry, and this is speaking as a lawyer who should know what all this means, is that it's incredibly complicated. So we had an article the other day where I was one of, I think, five lawyers who came out with concerns and the attorney just said, well, no, I don't agree with any of that. Oh. Um, but so let's let's assume that everyone's doing their best to get this right. We just don't know how this law is going yep. to work. And so the concerns that are raised need to be treated seriously because it's enormously complicated. Discrimination law is, is complicated at the best of times, but this, because of the whistles and bells, we're entering into uncharted territory and pretty dangerous territory because of the way in which it undermines our existing protections. The other, the other big one here that's a real... Uh, a real issue is the religious exemptions. So one of the things is, okay, if we say we can't discriminate on the basis of religion, what does that mean for a religious service provider? Are they allowed to discriminate? And so I think we need to be able to have a conversation about where we draw those lines. And typically, I think we've said most people, I think, would agree that when, when it comes to religious observance and what goes on within a church or a synagogue or, you know, in a, in a, in a place of faith, we would say, well, look, that's really a matter for your religion. It's not, it's not the role to get involved. But once you enter the public square and once you're providing services, you're running aged care facilities, you're running hospitals, you're providing services to people who are homeless, you're providing disability mm. care what does that mean for your Public ability hospitals yep, yeah absolutely yeah. and so this law um, has some carve-outs and others that it doesn't so it's again it's quite complicated about where it lands but it's for example it would allow a homeless shelter to refuse service to um, people on the basis of their religion if it can be shown that that's part of their sort of religious mission and their and their um, and the way that they they doing their business, so and when you think about that in terms of drug and alcohol oh, issues, for absolutely. example, it's like that's right. Oh my god! And so I think Isn't previously we would have said no, no, no. Once you're providing public services. You, you do that in a non-discriminatory to the public. way. Oh, yes. it's publicly that's, funded as well. That's right, yeah. and that's where we draw the line. So it's it's a difficult thing around manifestation of religion, and people will say, "Well, look, this is uh, me living my Christian mission," and to, to which I say, "Well, that's that's great," and I, you know, I think religious organisations have made can and can make a terrific contribution to public life, but. We have decided as a society that you can't do that if you discriminate on all these other grounds. Mm. And so organisations that want to practice in, in the public sphere really need to be prepared to make the commitment. And otherwise, if they want to operate privately within, a, you know, within the confines of their, of their religious organisation, then that's a, that's a different issue, which, which others may disagree yeah. about <laughs> as a matter of principle. Yeah. But, and that's where I think a lot of attention has to be paid is to what does this mean for a secular society? What does this mean and for that's those? The question. Yeah, yeah those baselines. It? it really yeah. is. How? What is the role of religion in the public sphere? Yeah, um, the whole church and, and state thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Really, isn't it? And really, we just we live in this um, 
situation where there is entrenched religious privilege in law and it is just concerning to see that privilege still embedded in this in this bill so i mean this has been so good and you know i think for our vast array of listeners out there <laughs> to to not get paralyzed by the complexity yeah. like if we've got uh, jonathan with such great experience saying this is complex mm-hmm. for yourself you know we don't want people to go oh it's too much for me but i think that question of we don't know the impact on it. Yes, we want people to have the freedom to um, practice and believe and live their religion, but what what impacts does this bill ha- yeah, and what cost might it have? And to write to, you know, find out yeah. who your federal yep, member absolutely. is. So that's what write you're recommending. To them, yep. Use yep. the submissions that we'll put up on our website to draw from or just cut and paste. Yep. Yep. Just uh, even a letter that says, I support this submission yeah, yeah, from the you already, I know you already have from. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and and look, the other the other thing is for people if you know people of faith are listening, the the mainstream uh, religious organisations, a number of uh, major mainstream religious organisations yeah, have correct. come out and said, you know, Vinnie's came out early and said, look, not not for us, thanks. We don't want these protections. Really? We we mm. operate. You know, the, the mission. If your mission is compassion and your mission is inclusion and diversity, because that's the teaching that you follow in your life, then why would you want? these sort of laws and so it's been really impressive and again um, Equality Australia have done great work in bringing together a coalition of religious organisations big mainstream religious organisations you know that the Uniting Church Anglicare in Victoria and are part of it One, um, I, I can't remember the, there is a, a Jewish care group in Victoria as well that signed up and so they're not these aren't these aren't radical groups, yeah. but yeah. they have said no. This law gets it wrong, and um, and I think that's really important. And and we should we should also acknowledge those those groups that have come out and are living are living their faith in this way as well. Yeah. Yeah. So All right, get active, people. Yeah, get yeah. on it. And you can you know you can just get onto the interwebs and find your local member. There's great databases you yeah. know from the Parliament of Australia and each of the state and territory parliaments where you can easily put in by location mm. and find your member and mm. email and them when this when this does go to parliament i'm 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 sure that there'll be a senate inquiry and that'll be another good opportunity for people to make their voices heard looking forward to that one yes yeah. <laughs> well, well thanks yeah, so much i you. mean this is yep. a big mm. complex hot mess of mm. um, concern and 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 so much detail and you've really unpacked it for yep. us so nicely today yeah, thank you so both thank you both thank, thank you for having us yeah. yeah all right and um, that's our episode for today we'll, be we'll back. see you all soon okay for more information about this podcast our guests and upcoming episodes head to http csrh.arts.unsw.edu.au